But I think one of the things he was asking me a few minutes ago was, was what's happening now with me. And um, what we're streaming right now to let you guys know about is we're out looking for some video shots that we're going to try to get done for this video tomorrow that I'm doing with Canton Jones, who is like, to, in, in my, my opinion, the best gospel singer in the world, best gospel writer in the world. And we got a smash coming your way. The Film Review Massive. This is Crazy D. Welcome to The Film Review Episode 10 On The Road. That's right. Finally, we're able to fill in the missing episode. We're already on episode 16 of On The Road, but 10 wasn't ready because what Crazy D was involved in filming the Las Vegas portion of Kenton Jones, So Glad I'm Saved, was not ready yet because the video hadn't been edited in Atlanta by Canton Jones. So now we can show you the making of Canton Jones. So glad I'm saved. Brian Timms portion from Las Vegas filmed by yours truly crazy D. And what makes this episode 10 so great is Brian Timms goes through and gives the history of Dayton, Ohio, Funk music. That's right. Being that I come from Cleveland, Ohio, I said, well, let me, as we're on the road, film and talk about Dayton, Ohio, where funk came from, the Ohio players, etc., etc. So sit back and enjoy episode 10, the film review on the road. What's going on, people? This is Crazy D. This is the film review on the road. What's going on? Facebook massive. Crazy D here. The film review on the road. I'm right here with B Tims. Say hello, B Tims. Nope. Gotta put my sunglasses on. Oh, you gotta put his sunglasses on first. We are out. We're gonna be scouting some locations for a music video. So we're gonna be out there on the road. So while we're on the road, we might as well uh, let you see what's going on. So again, it's crazy so y'all can chime on in. Got That's my sunglasses. He got his sunglasses on. Now you can turn that down before they kill the signal. We, they we, they oh, no, 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 no. They gonna kill. They gonna kill the signal there with that. All right, people. So we are on the road. We're driving. We're gonna be headed out to uh, Lake Mead. Lake Las Vegas. No, I'm just gonna say Lake Mead. I'm Lake trying, Las I'm Vegas. trying to keep it We're incognito. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. But anyway, yeah, Lake Las Vegas, people. We're headed. We're headed out there, and we're gonna be doing our thing, right? And so. Uh, checking out locations and things so for all of you who don't know this person to my left it probably be to your right because you know all the screens are reversed this is B temps and this is all this is all before the music starts we we I was I was even seeing like they put a, a two screen thing up there with a side side like we on the phone talking to each other and then all right. and then I'm gonna walk to the back of the truck and the truck the truck the back gate of the truck is gonna go up, and then I'm gonna actually have the talk box in the back of the truck tailgate. And, oh, I, and, yeah. I, and I'm gonna get my act, I'm gonna get my axe out. Like you say, man, what can you do? What can you do? And I'll be like, man, I'm about to go cut. The All right, man. Down. God bless. You know go to yeah. the back of the truck. And that starts the song. That's uh, B Tim's back there. I'm gonna hand it over to my impromptu camera lady sure. right here to do her thing. See, we were out there, we did slow motion. You'll see that in the video. And right now, we right there. And you know, the natural 
camera uh, blowout that they do on the iPhone is the exact same blowout that I did for the shot. He's also a damn good talk box operator. What's that? Right, and we're gonna ask him what the talk box is. The oh. reverb box, the talk the box. The reverb box, I never heard that name before. <laughs> <laughs> the reverb box. <laughs> The vocalator. Oh they call God. it. <laughs> right? The vocalator, right? They always used to call it that, right? The vocalator. Some people call it a vocoder. Vocoder, okay. Talk box, voice box. Uh -huh. A lot of different names. Okay, it. so tell them what a voice box is for the people who don't know. Actually, the people they call it a voice box calls it a voice box because it does just that. What your voice box does for your voice is provide sounds. And your mouth actually creates and 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 it makes the the actual um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Your your mouth forms the words. The notes, right? The the, 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 the the voice box that you have that creates the sound is bringing the sound, and when it gets to your lips, that you can pronounce M M, but it's actually sound coming from here. But with a talk box, the instrument you're playing keys on a keyboard and you have a tube in your mouth and you don't use your voice box in your throat but you still okay wait a minute wait a minute, wait a minute. first of all first of all let's back up a little bit because you're getting into the weeds of the technical side which is, this is good well, you but let's you back up let's, no, no, no. let people know what the uh vocalator the voice box who created it and who is most famous for using it first and then they'll be able to know and, uh, and name some songs and then we'll get into the weeds of it well, the first person that I ever saw do it was Stevie Wonder. Okay. Um, Stevie Wonder did it back in the 70s on one of those old shows, uh, one of those late night shows he did it. And it was really, really a great sounding thing and people were mesmerized by it because they hadn't heard it before. Uh -huh. And later in the 70s, a guy by the name of Peter Frampton made it very big with a song called, Do You Feel Like We Do? And he, he played it on his guitar. But then my mentor, Roger Troutman, came in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, he, he took it and just took it to a whole nother level. I mean, everyone did it for sound effects and different things like that. But Roger actually did lead vocals with it and led songs with it and just changed the game with it. He, he was amazing with it. So well that he, he patented his own type of talk box. And, Okay, has his own kind mm -hmm. because they were using it for the uh, for Stevie Wonder was using it for the organ, right? right? Right. And then Peter Frampton used it for the guitar, right? But then he used it for the keyboard, right? Right. And so that's why I made it. So he patented his right. own because his his sound was unique, right? Exactly. exactly. So when you hear "Do I Diddy" or "Come Here to Love" or "More for the Ounce," that's a, that's a whole different and that's so that's that sound that's the sound yeah. okay california love so you would so he has this little uh like a tube in his mouth right and he's singing but he's blowing wind is that how that works that, now we can get into the weeds of it that's funny that's because everywhere <laughs> i go but i i don't know why people ask you that there's no blowing do it i love it <laughs> okay so i have i have a couple of questions okay. Was it what time of day did you shoot it? Did you shoot it at 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. in the evening outside? It looked it uh, God graced us, and so um, we shot it. I would say starting at 10 a.m. Okay, 10 a.m. But it, it, it but it looked like it was about to rain, but it never rained. Okay, so it wasn't dark. It wasn't dark. It, it was just cool. Okay. So how far? So, how long? How long did you shoot? You didn't shoot at twelve noon because that's like the heat of the day, and that like we makes, did we did shoot at 12, 12 noon, but it still looked like ten a.m. Mm. Did you have uh, diffusers or silks? Like, did he throw up something to block the sun out? No, it was no sun. Okay, no sun. Okay. No sun. See, we we got it was no. No, no blaring sun. No basically. blaring sun. Okay, and then was it shot 4K or is it shot 
uh, HD. I just need to know. I, I can... uh, it, it was shot 4K. I just sent the settings to, uh, I just texted them to Brian. Okay. Okay, Set. cool, cool. It, it's actually all the sound is coming into your mouth. But I think people ask you that because it looks like a straw. Right. You know, when I go in a studio engineer, like, are you blowing in that? How you do it? You know, and it's cr it cracks me up because it really sends a vibration into your mouth. So, so is bad. it so so is it so is it you're pressing on the keys on the keyboard and it's sending like an air pressure into your mouth? Let me go a little further. Okay. The talk box itself is nothing but a horn driver. Which is a speaker. Okay. So you have a, if you can imagine, you have a speaker with a tube on it mm -hmm. that's, instead of the sound dispersing out like that as a speaker, is all the sound is coming through that tube and going into your mouth. Okay. So that's why I said. So earlier, it is a kind of wind. It's no wind, it's sound. It's just sound. Yeah. And what, and, and, you, what, and you feel pressure though. You feel rattling different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a rattling thing because I've had a few feelings come out. But. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You've used it. Keep, and, keep, and that, it. keep that dental insurance. That's all I'm telling you. All right, listen. I don't own the rights to this music. You know, this is Steve Barrington, but we're on the road. So last time while we were talking, we talked about B Tim's extensive work with Zap and coming from the home of the funk, Dayton, Ohio. How did you get connected to Zach. First of all, let's go back. You're from Dayton, Ohio. Yep. The home of the funk. Yeah. Right? Creator funk. Tell us what Dayton, Ohio was like back in the day with the with the different garage bands. Tell us what that was like. Oh wow. Tell yeah. I mean just break it down like how you tell us those stories. Break it down like how you so they can get the feel of what Dayton, Ohio was like. What year would that be for you? Furthest I can remember, I think it's like around 72. And because my only reason I remember that, don't think I'm crazy, y'all. Only reason I remember that is because my dad got a 72 electric 225. And then the man made it. I thought we had made it when we got that, you know what I mean? But I mean, riding my bike around town, um, music was everywhere, like all the parks during the summertime, you know. And then you, first of all, let me say, uh, blessings to you also, Sandra. Thanks for tuning, chiming in. Go ahead. Basically, it's like you you hear this great radio station, WDAO, it was a great radio station that we had in Dayton. And every time they played a Dayton group, they would be like, you know, so and so and so, -so Dayton's own Slave, Dayton's own Lakeside, Dayton's own Zap. And it just was something that wrong with you. But then you would see these guys in the grocery stores and different places like that. And I knew what I wanted to be right off the bat because they had everything. I mean, they had they had the nice cars and jewelry and just living the lifestyle you know but then going and seeing different people i took piano lessons and the ohio players bus was parked okay out. so you say so you say that you would go around riding your bike around and you would see the people in their garages in the garage and and they had warehouses and now now how soon from the garage bands that you saw that you then started to see them at the garages with the fur coats, diamonds, cars, now how long a how long of a stretch was that? Who was the first groups that you saw like that who had come straight from out the garage? The first group that made it out of Dayton that put Dayton on the map as a music town was the Ohio players. Okay. Um, out of the Ohio players there's a horn player named Pee Wee. And Pee Wee's nephew is the leader of Slave. Okay. So Slave spawned out of the Ohio Players. There were so many groups that spawned out of the Ohio Players. Shadow was another group which was a drummer, guitar player, and um, one of the other members of the Ohio Players. Um, my uncle Satch, he formed a group called Fazo, which was on his record label, She was the name of his record label. And Fazo made the song Riding High. You got probably remember that song. Um, big hit for them. Um, there were so many different ways. Then you had so many different groups that looked up to the players and it sounded like the players. So out of my city, after those groups started coming out, there was Heat Wave, there was Lakeside, which my cousin plays bass player, is a bass player in Lakeside. Um, I mentioned Slade, uh, Shirley Murdoch, Zap, Heat Wave, um, who did I forget? 
I know I forgot somebody. What's going on to James Foreman? Thanks for chiming in. What's chiming up, James? in from Cleveland, Ohio. What's up, James? So you say your uncle Satch, who was in the Ohio Players, Fazo came before the Ohio Players? No, Fazo was Fazo was an extension of Ohio. Fazo was actually a riding squad for the Ohio Players that he said these guys are good. We got to get them a record. Dude. Okay, a riding squad means they were like backup bands. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. They were so, right. Produce music that some some of the songs became Ohio player songs that you that you actually have danced and sung all your life and so the the, the guys were such great musicians. Sax said, "Hey, let's get them a record deal too." So it was a it was a thing like man, uh, it was a domino effect in It is food time. I remember, I remember <laughs> when uh, we first moved out here. This this heat would make you sweat. But since they've been building, it's humidity. Mm-hmm. Anybody who tells you there's no humidity in Las Vegas, they haven't been out here. Ain't no last, humidity in Las Vegas. Last four years, this is a humidity. I don't know what it is. It's humidity. Make you sweat. You would be in the sun and it'd be a dry heat. The sun would beat you. Y'all just see that? Beat down on you, but you wouldn't sweat. Mm-hmm. But y'all just see that? What? What? Y'all just see that? What happened? I, I put my water down, closed the door, and I was walking to the back of the truck, and Satan himself said, Hey, man, it's hot as hell out here. Can you give me some water, too? Y'all see it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I hope not to see that. Right? Where's the beat over my water right now? Okay, so now we're going to do the keyboard lines now. We can do that on, you know, all your notes. You got to turn this way so I you can see them too, right? I played them, didn't I? Right, right, right. I mean, I mean, yeah. I would not know my notes. Now, don't you go asking no ridiculous questions. You hear? These is what's wrong with you you young deacons you're gonna that's coming like, you're up gonna now. Be, you're going to be like, uh, Excuse me, I'm we're going to take, take 15 because he's going to be like, no, I missed that. I missed that. Hey, we're about, we about to roll with this, bro. We're about to roll with it. Hey, it's hot. You got that right. That is some wind out here. This is my favorite in the field. As y'all can see, God himself don't want him wearing that chicken George hat. He's tired a little tighter. Take it again, Lord. Take it again. Do it again. That's my favorite hat right there. Won't he do it? Yeah. singer heat wave he was my paper boy and i remember <laughs> he left and went to the navy or air force or somewhere went to something what's his name again johnny wilder uh-huh left he was your paper he was younger than you no he was older than me okay he was your paper boy. okay was, i got you all these guys are older than me okay, okay. i was the young kid okay, okay but johnny left to go to the air force i think it was the air force and he gave his paper route to his brother keith uh-huh he goes overseas and hooks up with some other guys and, and they formed this band and then he sends Keith a ticket to come over to Europe and next thing you know there's, there's heat wave from his brother he the two bro, the two wilder brothers uh-huh. are the lead singers of heat wave mm-hmm. and they formed in, in the uh, soda bass projects in Dayton Ohio soda bass projects they they went went up went to the army or where we went military wise and next thing you know they're a famous group so they, that, and I, I think that attributes to Heatwave having a more international sound than most of the Dayton groups. But then you got you got Lakeside, you know. Um, Lakeside is named after a famous amusement park that we I never got to go to. It was destroyed by the time I was uh, old enough to go. But there's a big lake in the middle of the west side of Dayton. The west side of Dayton is where all these groups come from, and they're named after that lake. Um, Slave 
I used to sit on my grandmother's back porch and watch them rehearse when they were a rock and roll band. Uh-huh. I mean, they, my grandmother used to call the police on them <laughs> quite often because their parents went and got the, these big amplifiers, man. And they looked really. Oh, so the parents was in on it? Yeah, the parents was in on it. And they would pack, they would park and put these things in their backyard and practice. And I would sit on the porch as a little boy and just listen to them play. Their favorite song was Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. They played, they turned those things up loud as they could. Uh-huh. And my grandmother called the police on them every day. <laughs> every day? Every day. But later, I ended up being enslaved. So it was it was a it was a really interesting thing when I told them about how I used to watch them, and they didn't they didn't even know who I was. They knew my older cousins because they were older, but I was little Tim's to them. That they never would call me Brown. I was little Tim's. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, they were good friends with my my cousin. But yeah, man, um, slave, uh, heat wave, zap. Um, how I got how I got into the zap organization. I had a bunch of bands around town. I mean, we were emulating the older guys. And um, this guy, Greg Jackson, came to me, who was an original original member of Zap. Uh, he came to me and said, hey man, Roger, Roger likes you. He keeps hearing about what you're doing. You need to come up to the studio. And uh, this is a funny story, because they tease me about this to this day. So I go up to the studio, and Roger says, hey, you're pretty good, man. I've been hearing stuff you're doing, blah, 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 this, and the other. I want to teach you music production. And so, uh, okay, one, one thing before you finish that story. How do all of these people know music theory? Or, or is it being taught in the schools? Are people just picking up instruments and picking out the notes? How do they know how to read music? How does this go and date? Some the of the stories that I've heard, man, are, for the, like I said, these guys are older than me, but... There was a school called Roosevelt that my uncles went to, and um, there's a guy that start that was with the Ohio Players named Junie Morrison, who wrote Funky Worm and all this. Even they were telling me, man, that this all started at school. Back in that day, you know, you had music classes, you had different types of things, but everybody had a band. So um, some of those guys went there. I, I've talked to Steve Arrington. Um, he was telling me how they were like 15 to 16 years old, and he dragged Mark Adams and started at Roth High School in Dayton, Ohio. Um, they just formed a band and later became Slade. Um, you know, I was I was actually trying to get Steve Harrington to do some work with a new version of Slade, and he, he expressed to me he said I could I can't do it because the rhythm section would never be the same as it was when it was those guys, and they had so much history since being. I mean, Slade, a lot of people don't know, but Slade was. Members of Slave were only 16 years old when they got the record deal. Mm. When the record slide came out, they were still in school. So it's like, you know, these guys have a tight-knit thing, but they all learned from band classes at school. Um, then you just had, like I said, the players came out, and we had a measuring tool. So once you got out of band class, you went home, went in the basement, and you got your chops on. You know what I'm saying? And you did not come out until those chops were where they were supposed to be because if you did, they didn't talk about you. So from <laughs> you watching them playing in the garage bands, right? Yeah. And seeing what your uh, uncle was doing, uh-huh. right? Uh, then that made you say, I'm going to take theory class or I'm going to take music class. Right. And then right. what was your instrument of choice at first? Piano. Uh-huh. You I, never wanted to do horns? Uh, I, wanted, I, was, I, I came at a different era than they did, and I was coming into that area where, where music was starting to become electronic, uh-huh. so I knew if I took piano lessons, I could play any instrument in the band, because I was understanding what synthesizers were bringing to the music business at that time. Uh-huh. So, I could play bass, I could play lead guitar, I could play drums, I could do anything, I could play strings. I oh, could so play you can the play these? You can play those instruments? No, I, I said I, through the use of... Oh. Uh, oh, okay, I got you, I got you. The sound, yeah. the sound patches. Yeah, you got to think most of the times, these guys, back when the players were coming up, they just had their instruments, and they were playing, and synthesizers were slowly coming in. But I was talking to teachers and different people like that, saying, hey, man, electronic music is, is an amazing thing. You can do so many things with it. So, But everything is played by keyboard. Now, that, we know today that's not true. You can put a synthesizer on a guitar or a horn. Uh-huh. You know, I know a guy... What's going on, Ken Evans? Thanks for chiming in. I know a guy that uh, that plays in a band, and he he plays a horn, 
he plays TalkBox through his horn. And I still don't know how he does it. But it's a vocoder, his is. But it's just amazing that technology has allowed it to come to that point where you can do that. So. Okay, so from those inspirations, would you have, what would you have done if you hadn't been playing music? If you hadn't had that inspiration? I don't, you I don't think, I don't think I, I don't think I, I don't think I would have done anything else. This is what I was made to do. My brothers and sisters, they took piano lessons and they were always around the house playing piano. And where they, my brother and sister hate me. <laughs> because I got so much poured into me from them that they took piano lessons and they, they don't even play anymore. But my sister always says, if you talk to her, my sister, like, yeah, he didn't even take piano lessons. He would just listen to stuff on the radio and start playing it. So then I took piano lessons and that's why I stopped taking piano lessons because it, it, the theory part of it was messing me up as far as playing by ear and, learn, and having perfect pitch. I was like, I started thinking too technical about it. You uh -huh. know what I mean? So, but like I said, my sister, she, she, she'll crack you up. It's like, she just always says to people like, you know, he just started playing and that's because I had them as influences. I had um, all these people in all these different bands as influences, you know, and I, I could touch them. I could, go, I could go touch the Ohio players. I could go touch Fazo and Slade and all these people. I could actually go up to them and they were just influencing me. Canton Jones intro. CJ, what's up, man? What's up, bro? What's going on, man? How's everything in the ATL? Man, you know it's good. It's good. How's everything in Vegas, boy? Man, it's it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful life, man. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I got I got this record I need you on ASAP, bro. You know, and you like we shoot the video as we speak, so you know uh, we got to use technology as much as we can. I, I need you that. on this thing. I need you on this thing right now, bro. Talk box, get to me. That's what it's coming at you, right? You know what? You know what? Hey, CJ, you know me. I'm about to do it right now. Like right now. Right now. All right. It's bet, going bet, down. Bet. All right. I'm gonna text you the address. God bless. One of the biggest things that ever happened in my life was me and my brother used to sneak into concerts at a place called the UD Arena, which was near our house. And we would get on our bikes and ride over there, you know, and just hang out and see who was coming in. But one time I challenged my brother, I said, let's go inside. And we went inside and uh, man, it was an amazing thing in my life. But my brother and I went up to the top of the arena and we were sitting there watching them bring all this equipment in and set the stage up and everything. And we laugh about that now, but that was all a part of my journey too, because that's why I can I, I learned to do other types of production, you know, as far as stage production, and I, I learned how to do all that in this one visit. I saw the greatest show on earth that night. Me and my brother got caught in the arena. <laughs> Security is escorting us out of the arena, and Maurice White of Earth when the fire said into the microphone, leave those kids alone, and told them to bring us up there. They took us on the stage. Really. It was amazing, dude. It was amazing. They were rehearsing, and they took us up on the stage. They called our parents. Our parents came over there. We had dinner with them. He took our phone number. We watched the show. It was just an amazing experience, and that was the greatest show I ever saw in my life. They had these pyramids come down out of the sky, and they all got into it. The pyramids went up in the sky and exploded, and there was these aliens standing around while they were doing it, right? And then they took off the alien heads, and they were and Earth, Wind, and Fire was in the alien heads. It was, it was amazing. Just amazing stuff. What's going on to Miriam Gibson? Thanks for chiming in and watching. But that changed my life. And then to the fact that my sister was a was a teenager at that time. I was a young kid. But this dude would call my house and check on me to see how I was doing in my music career. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I now, who was this? Maurice White. Maurice White. And my sister would freak out every time he called. Like, and I didn't know. I'm just like, it's just. So, so you see how he called you, and it was nothing but innocent. Yeah. And how they do the Michael Jackson documentary, and he was calling the kid over there because he could rap, and they made it seem like it was something sinister. Well, we all know what's going on. No, oh, okay. I mean, I'm not. We're not getting into the politics of that. I'm just saying how my mom used to tell me that as long as you knew how to act, if you were 18, then you know you could be over my grandma's house. Right. You know, it would be all ages partying together. Right. As long as you knew how to act. Right. You know, even the young kids that were around. As long as you knew how to act, you could be there. Right. Right. So I mean, but anyway, go ahead with the story. I just, but you I, know, guess, I thought that was interesting. I just um. That, that changed my life because now I see the garage bands, but then I see the most perfect, excellent band of all time. But they, they um, those guys, man, I mean, they took me up on the stage and, you know, Maurice was talking to me. He had his arm around me and people thought I was his son, man. A couple of guys said, oh, I thought you were his son. But I said, no. So he goes, what do you, what do you do? And I said, I'm taking piano lessons right now. And he said, go up there with Larry Dunn. So wow. I go into this this pit, man. I'm like what eight years old, nine years old, something like that. I go into this pit, man, of keyboards all the way around this guy. This guy, and I'm sitting there looking at him like he's a spider or something, because his fingers was long. I mean, man, his fingers were so long, and he was just reaching all over the place playing keyboards, just reaching all over the place. And I, um, it bugged me out. But then he said, "Now you play." <laughs> so I and you can hear it through my, the speakers. Man, listen. It, that changed my life forever. I'm in the University of Dayton arena where all the superstars come to play. And this dude lets me play his piano. And I'm like, I played Peanuts. And the whole band played with me. Really? They just joined in, dude. And I like, I lost my mind. I said, I want to do this. You said that at eight? <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, what? they were laughing at me. but So it was later in life after I got to Atlanta and I started producing everybody in Atlanta. Um. I remembered this guy's name, Artie McNown. That was their manager. I started looking up Kalimba Productions and everything, and I called Maurice and got back in contact with him. And at this time, we would talk on the phone like maybe once, twice a month. And he would tell me things about my my, my, my movements and things that I had made and where I was where I was. But then he started telling me the secrets of Earth, Wind & Fire. like. It blew my mind. Like he was telling me, like, yeah, I was telling him how my how I was dealing with the church, a mega church down in Atlanta, and I was on staff there, and this and the other. And my music is going that direction. He said, "Don't trip." He was like, basically, that's what we were too. And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "We we basically had to hide our gospel music message in our songs." And I was like, "Really?" So I I mean, you know, keep your head to the sky is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. But he started telling me things like. Okay, yeah, you remember the song In the Stone? And I said, yeah. He said, it was about the Ten Commandments. Oh, okay. You know, so, and he explained to me, he was trying to give me some knowledge that record companies wouldn't let them do that. They wouldn't let them sing that type of music, but they had to hide the message in there. And, you know, the rest is history, mm-hmm. you know. But it was just amazing some of the songs he told me, man, that we would dance to. Of course, Mighty Mighty, you can tell that has gospel influence. But when he told me In the Stone was about the Ten Commandments, it just really messed me up. But it's really cool stuff, man, that you can, you know, I, I, I've been blessed, I'm going to tell you. And I just told somebody this the other day while we were in L.A. I've been blessed to, I've been blessed to be able to be around some of the greatest people in the music business. And, I mean, no holes barred. I just, I can touch them. You know what I mean? Um, some of the greatest influences in the world, man. Junie Morrison, who... I look at one of the greatest musicians that ever come out of Dayton, Ohio. Um, it's just a great influence on me. Roger Trout, great influence on me. Roger taught me everything I know about doing music production. So, you know, these guys, I've been blessed enough to to, to meet, but then on a whole other level, you got a, a Earth, Wind & Fire and, and all these other groups as well um, that are national groups that I, I've met as well. And just been a blessing. So. So okay, so now you you got that formative training. You you listened to your sisters and your brothers, <laughs> and then you picked up. Then you took theory. Then you said, "I stopped 
But at the same time, when you were eight, you got to see Earth, Wind, and Fire, and they brought you up on stage because you and your brother had snuck in to the uh, <laughs> venue, and we know all about that, people. I'm not in because yeah, uh, <laughs> these days it might not go so well. But yeah. anyway, look. Uh, so you do all that. So now we flash forward. You've seen all the garage bands and turn into uh, Ohio players, Fazo, all of the. Uh, uh, um, you talked about uh, Heat Wave and how he was your he was your paper route uh, boy, mm-hmm. the paper boy. Then he goes over, turns the route over to his brother. Then he calls his brother when he goes over to Europe because he was in the army or in the armed forces. And then they make heat wave over there, and they bring this international sound back to to uh, to date. Now, so you meet up with Roger. You you guys were like emulating the older guys' sound, and your keyboard playing got. Were you playing the vocalizer then, or were you just playing keyboard? No, but again, again, as a kid, as a kid. I, they would have like the Dayton Funk Festival things and different things with all those bands that were from Dayton. And everybody went on stage. But when Roger went on stage, and I told him this when I met him and he died laughing. But Roger went on stage, it was like electricity mm-hmm. was turned on. It was like, man. And I told my brother, and my brother would take me to these concerts. He was older than me. But I told my brother, I said, I want to do that. And my destiny. For me saying that was I ended up doing it. So I mean? so so words, so what comes out your mouth does manifest. I spoke it into existence. You know, and, and I wasn't I told Roger that and he laughed, but I didn't tell y'all the story. I, I didn't finish telling y'all the, the story about meeting him. Right. When the gentleman told me, and this is what I get teased about a lot from all the members of Zach. Um he takes me up to the studio, Roger says, you know, cool, I'm gonna teach you how to do this. But I need to talk to your parents first. So he calls my mom, and my mom and dad are at the house. And um, he says, "Hey, Miss Timms, blah 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 blah. I'm Roger Troutman, blah blah blah." And my mother's a school teacher. She she's not into entertainment, nothing like that. And this is the funniest thing that ever happened. <laughs> he goes, "You know, I want to teach your son music production. He's a great musician. He he has great." Um, Abilities to put great bands together. He knows, you know, who has good pitch, who has this. He can he can put that together. But I want to teach him music production in the studio, and, and show him how to put music together, where he can do a whole song inside of his head and then put it on tape, transfer that to a record. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom said, "Well, Mr. Troutman, I, with all respect due to you, you know, I don't want him to really to get into the music business." Now, here's my mom saying this: the lady that. <laughs> Forced me to take piano lessons before, and I had to. I had to do my piano lesson before I could go outside and play when I came home from school. Uh-huh. She, she's telling my brother and sisters the same. We all had the same piano teacher. She has this big, gigantic piano in in the middle of our living room. My dad went and bought me at 14 years old a Fender Rhodes electric piano, which was a top of the line. Top of the line. Top of the line. And now I'm with probably the, the hottest dude in Dayton, Ohio at the time, Roger Troutman. And my mom, <laughs> this is my mom's response. All due respect, I don't want him to really get into the music business. I want him to do something and just be normal, like a doctor or a lawyer. And so, if you, if I had a, a camera on my phone, which we didn't have at that time, to take a picture, take a picture of Roger's face, oh my God, and his, his response was, oh, Miss Timms, I'm not, I'm not normal. <laughs> so anytime I'm in, anytime Zap is around the city anywhere, uh, the, anytime they come around or I see them on the road or I walk in their dressing room, they go, oh, God, here comes a normal boy. <laughs> that, it's an inside joke. It's an inside joke. <laughs> right, be there. Yeah, yeah. But, but, it, but it's amazing, man, just, you know, working with him. I'm in high school, and the first song I worked on was Computer Love. I mean, that... I remember taking tapes home. He would get in my mom's car and we'd go drive around listening to what we had just recorded. He would leave tapes in the car and I'd be like, dang, he left computer love. I'm got to show. And I'm, I'm letting my family hear, you know, what we're doing. And I just remember the, it was exciting, man. It was like, no, there was, you got to think now. So what made her relent? My dad. Oh, well, he was listening <laughs> to? My dad was like, let the boy do what he's doing. Let him do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But, 
a song like Computer Love hadn't been recorded before. Mm -hmm. And I and I didn't know anything about the business of music the way I do now then, but I knew that song was gonna be a big hit. I knew it was. You know, I just knew it was gonna go over like it has. And man, it was just proud. I was just so proud to to be a part of it. I, I look check this out. This is amazing. Look at that book. Don't don't put your camera down here because it's junky in here. But I just want to show them something. This right here. This right here. That is an original practice tape from Troutman Sound Labs in Dayton, Ohio. These, this is what we would do. We would get in the car and put these tapes in and just listen to what we rehearsed, what we went over one or whatever we was recording. We drive sometimes drive down to Cincinnati, me and Roger, just by ourselves, and we just listen to music all the way. Sometimes we drive over to Indianapolis, just listen to music. But that's an original cassette tape. If you look at that side right there, it says LL Cool J in handwriting. That's Roger's handwriting. He wanted he wanted me to put LL Cool J's whole album on here just so we could ride and study it. That's what kind of dude he was. He wasn't afraid of hip hop. He wasn't afraid of anything, but he wanted to know what was going on. We're gonna but get yeah, some man, gas. Yeah, I'm gonna get some gas. We're gonna come back and finish. No, up. no, we're gonna keep going. I mean, I just keep streaming. We're gonna keep going? We're gonna keep going. I'm just gonna keep going. Yeah, it's on the they road. Don't see all that, man. We're on the road. We're not gonna go in there. I can't go inside the place, but we can be, I can be out here talking, chopping it up, and then when you come out, pump the gas, you know, regular, regular, right regular stuff. No, I'm gonna get out the car. I'm gonna stretch my legs. We've been driving for about yeah, how long has it been? About yeah, boy, an hour. Real. Oh yeah, we out here in the middle of no man's land. About no man's. We're land. out in the desert trying to uh, figure out because we're scouting locations for a music video. So we are on the road, people, doing our thing. We are outside in the sunshine. So we are sitting in another part of paradise. So we're out here on the patio, and as you see, you see the mountains and the skyline and the water. Nice lounge chair that's going on here. Oh yeah, this is nice. Tell them where tell tell them where we are. We're in Lake Las Vegas. We're um, most of the Lake Las Vegas thing that most people used to see are over there, where the little uh, shopping center and everything is, and the grid, the hotel over the water is over this way. But um, we're in the residential section of Lake Las Vegas. If you look right up here to the, to the north, you'll see there's a lot more new stuff coming up. They're building out here. Um, just on the other side of that, that hill there, there's like housing going up. It's rapidly expanding up here. Um, and we can honestly say that if you have the price point, you have the money for the price point, you can live out here too. No, that's Is not that, true. That's not true? I don't have the money for the price point. I, I was trying to dispel the uh, rumors of segregation out here, okay? I'm, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know I'm going to go slow, man. Come on, dude. I just turned 52 last week. Oh, look at that shot right there, people. See that? Actually, I'm going to show y'all something. Come here. Come here. Anytime. Anytime. Anytime President Obama visits Las Vegas, he, he stays right there. This is the hotel he stays at. Oh, should we be showing that? Right yeah, this is, I mean, everybody knows it. You can't get to it. And that's why they do it. That's why he stays here, because see, it's the water behind it. There's no way you can you know, infiltrate it. But this is where he stays. Right here. So you're watching the film review on the road i'm crazy d i'm your host you know we have the film review music review show all of that is global uh you can just search that right on youtube or vimeo on your iso devices uh, you just search it and it comes right down and you can watch everything right in your city state township you know country and that's what we do and we we got you right here. This is one of our longest expansions right here, telling this story. We're here along with B. Tim's right here. I think one of the things he was asking me a few minutes ago was was what's happening now with me. And um, what we're streaming right now to let you guys know about is we're out looking for some video shots that we're gonna try to get done for this video tomorrow that I'm doing with Canton Jones, who is like to, in, in my 
my opinion, the best gospel singer in the world, best gospel writer in the world, and we got a smash coming your way. We got the, the for, we got something for the seniors, the people that, you know, the seasoned people, we got something for the young people, and then I'm gonna bring the future with it. So it's, it's gonna be a nice song, man. I, I'm gonna I'm try to come back and let y'all get a little snippet of it, but you know, it, it, it's all right. It's gonna be good. But we gonna, we, this video shoot, we gonna get y'all some more And yours tomorrow. truly is doing what? My man right here, Crazy D, let me tell y'all something. Let me tell y'all something. If you're doing video stuff and you don't call a man Crazy D, I, this is where I'm gonna forget I'm saved for about 15 minutes and go upside your head. <laughs> I, hey, Rufus, that's to, that's for you, Rufus. <laughs> but no, we, 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 gonna, we gonna really do it. This guy, man, um, out here in Vegas, ain't nobody doing it like him. He's all over the place. I mean, when we were doing Bomb Squad Radio, he was all over the place. I mean, we would go somewhere, we go to a concert and do some things. He had his stuff up on, on YouTube that night. So that's how he does it. He, this, this is the most serious man, most hardest man in the video business right here, hardest working man. Right here, Crazy D. So make sure you call him. So basically, we're gonna be out here looking for some shots for this King Jones video. The song is called So Glad I'm Saved. It, it's, it's awesome. It starts off with the talk box. I start the song off. And, uh, you know, Cam is just known for his grooves, man. He, he, he has a, I don't know. Me and Cam started working together when I was in Atlanta back in 94. And I was on his first album. And um, it, went, it went really good, man. We just established, we bonded this relationship together that you know, man, let's keep doing it, keep doing it. But unfortunately, I was at a 30,000 member church on the other side of town. He was on a 30,000 member church on the west side of town. And um, both churches had TV studios, uh, music studios, and all types of things in there. Um, and we just, we had fun. It was like, it was like we were little kids running back and forth with each church recording together. Um, but we, he then signed with, uh, he signed with the record label that his church had, and they they took more direction of what he was doing. So that's why the, the things that we recorded, the things we were doing, a lot of didn't come out. Um, but we had the we, me and him were just talking yesterday, and he said, "Let's do it three song EP after we get this song out." So be on the lookout for more from you know he and myself. Um, I love working with him. He loves working with me. I just called him today. And I was telling him, man, I don't know if I'm gonna get this video shot done out here in Vegas. Just go ahead and release the video. No, 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 I gotta have you on. I gotta have you. And that just, you know, that's love, man. I, this, this is why I miss Atlanta so much because I got brothers like that down there. That, like, they just, they, they, they love you. You know, they love you unconditionally. They look out for you, and it's like you got extended family. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm really excited about this project. I think it's, it's gonna be a really big one. Like I said, Doug Williams is on it from the Williams Brothers. Um, myself and Cam Jones is is just gonna really do good, I think. So. Tell them who you are again. My name. New is people are chiming in, so. My name is Brian Timms. So that's it. You've been watching the film review on the road. We'll be back a little bit later with some more as we scout out some locations and uh, get this video underway. All right, talk to you. So James Brown, I mean, uh, George Clinton, P. Funk, Funkadelic, and Dayton Funk. Difference. The differences are very small. For the simple fact, James Brown, like I told you earlier, he got Boosie in the band. Now, Boosie, um, Boosie James Brown did teach the one, though. That's where I'm getting to. Okay. Boosie was able to mess with James Brown long enough to get the chemistry of James Brown Funk. He took that and taught it to George Clinton. George Clinton, if you you hear George Clinton on the record, on the one, on the one. So he's got now he's got James Brown infused in P Funk. Also from P Funk, what comes is a guy named Junie Morrison from Dayton that was the original sing, lead singer of the Ohio Players. He did Funky Worm, he did Pain, he did all those great records. You hear his voice to this day on Humpty Hump. That. Baby. That's his voice. Mm -hmm. They sampled it. Now let me tell you, Junie 
is the funk overlordian. I, I sat in the studio with George Clinton and he told me that Juni came, and he's another one that asked me, what do they feed us in Dayton? He told me that Juni came to the studio, sat down, and now keep in mind for George Clinton, he wrote Aqua Boogie, he wrote Knee Deep, he wrote um, One Nation Under a Groove. This is all one man that plays every instrument. Every So he said, the, he said, Brian, man, he said, this guy was unbelievable when he came to P-Funk. He bought something from Dayton, Ohio that I didn't know. He said, oh, me and Boosie used to study Dayton, Ohio. We used to study the players and try to figure out what they were doing, what their next moves were. I've heard that from uh, many of people. Of course, Larry Blackman from Cameo says the, the Fire album comes out and they all went. He made the whole band go to the Poconos to study it. So this music is very influential that comes out the hometown. George Clinton is telling me that he comes into the studio he sits down and George says, hey, I want to go on the groove like blah, blah, blah. He said he left the studio, came back in two hours, and the whole song, Knee Deep, was done. The entire the song. Changes, the changes. The drums, the guitars, the horns. The bridge. Everything was done. Okay? He says the whole P-Funk mob, all his musicians was mad at him because he just let this guy come in and take over. But throughout that session, he did the whole album. The entire album. And George said... I had to beg him to let Michael Hampton play the guitar solo on that song, but, but he played everything that he had already laid on the track, note for note. He, he wouldn't let him change it. He said, you got to play exactly what I played or I'm not going to put it on there. And he did it. So this is, if, if you, if you ask yourself the original question, what's the difference between those three types of funk? It's no difference because they're all the same people. What about Gap Band Funk? Gap band funk is a little bit different, you know. Are um, they used? To, they, <laughs> did they come from they Parliament, they, or did that come from they? Well, back did that come from Dayton, or did that come from back in that Parliament? time? Back in that time, it was okay to borrow from each other. People would borrow a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and and a great example of that is the Gap band, um, "Burn Rubber on Me" and "Bad Mama Gemma." Same two songs, eight bars of it is not the same. It's the first four bars, they did the same bass line, and then Carl Carlton changed it just at the end. And, and it was it was not uncommon for that to happen. It wasn't uncommon for it to happen at all. Um, it just did. But it, 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 it just made a lot of um, similarities in the music, made a lot of people you know, feel like, hey, excuse me one second, I'm backing up, I need to see where I'm going so I don't smash up nothing. Um, made it listen look like, hey, this is a great thing. It's a great song. It's already a hit, so let's make it a hit again. You know, that's how they. That's how they. Well, that's that's what uh, that's what Bon Mason uh, said. He said, "Bounce Rock Skate" is the opening to Sheik's Good Time. Skate, the same baseline almost. Roll, bounce. So last time while we were talking, we talked about. B. Tim's extensive work with Zap and coming from the home of the funk, Dayton, Ohio. You know, we talked about that. So let's talk about the how being in the quote unquote secular versus gospel world, how that intersects as a musician. <laughs> I knew this question was coming. You know what, though? I had a very progressive pastor. I'm going to tell you how, how I got, got all twisted up in all this. I went to a church to see Kirk Franklin one night in Atlanta. And the church, I was on the road with Bobby Brown at the time. And the church was um, basically, I'm looking at this church like, man, they got the same equipment and stuff that we use on the road professionally. And I wasn't used to that. So it was like, you know, I said, I'm going to check this place out. So how about I went back that next Sunday? It was on a Wednesday night, I think. It was like 5,000 people in this church. You know what I mean? And I went back that next Wednesday, and same thing. They had the same equipment, same stuff up there, very professionally done. And I said, I, I can do this. I like this. Not knowing that it was a reason for 5,000 people being there on a Wednesday night because they had a great pastor. And I ended up, long story short, becoming a staff member of that church. And... 
I was playing Talkbox on different stuff. Actually, the pastor did an album, and I did Talkbox on an album, and um, it was it was really crazy because sitting with him and him knowing my background and knowing where I come from and knowing what I did, he told me, "Don't stop." He said, "That's your gift." He said, "Be a light in a dark place." And after he told me that, I was I did a session with Outcast, um, maybe like a month or two after he told me that. And this is what happened. I would go into sessions all the time with Outkast, and a lot of weed would be smoked and a lot of stuff would be going on in there, you know. So I came in this one particular day and this dude held a joint out to hand it to me. And Andre 3000 was like, yo man, he don't do that. He said, matter of fact, everybody put it out. Because when he come in, y'all make sure Y'all respect his his faith. You know, he don't he don't get out like that. And I looked at Andre like, what the heck happened to you? You know, would you fall above your head? But sure enough, right after he left, right after everybody cleared out, you know, and we it was him and I and the engineer in the studio alone, he said, Yeah man, I had to stick up for you. You know, my mom's a preacher. Mm -hmm. So you know what I mean? It was it was he knew and had that rooted inside of him. But like my pastor was saying, when you go be a light in a dark place, you can pull other people to that to what they really want to be. You know what I'm saying? They feel comfortable because they see a lot of that stuff going on. There's five or six guys doing it, but they feel like they might be the underdog. You know, like I was the underdog, but I just, I've been in so many bands um, all the way from high school, man. And, you know, everybody smoked. I've never tried it, never felt interested to do it. And I didn't feel like peer pressure could ever be a thing that could make me do that. So, you know, it just it is what it is. I mean, if you do it, you do it. If I don't, you know, and that's that's what I, I just really like. So, as a as a young kid, uh, young young child, coming up and liking the funk music, right? And you were going to church with your parents, church affiliated. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Definitely. So, what? Let's go back there. Was there, once they started seeing that you wanted to play secular music, was there something in Dayton where the church was like, you're going to wind up like uh, Sam Cooke if you well, uh, do the uh, secular music. Stick to the gospel, son. Well, check this out. The church I grew up in, I could see that happening, but the church I went to in Atlanta... No, Burke, but, I, but how did you break away from that? Because I know that was happening. Was that happening or it wasn't happening? It, it was happening, and it was happening in the. It was happening inside of my mind. But I was in jail. I was in jail in my own mind because that ain't what God wanted. You see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like when I what He showed me that church for. What He sent me there for by accident was to show me that I gave you the gift. Now, if you put your gift out there and man distorts that, that's on Him. But I gave you the gift to do what you do. If you do it, you do it. And you do it honoring me and that's what I do anytime I'm anytime I turn my my talk box on that's praise unto God you know what I'm saying right right, right. That, that's just how it is <laughs> uh, remix says us folks from Compton Ohio we don't have to smoke we already crazy without it we da, know da, this da. we know this you ain't never lied <laughs> we know this for real <laughs> That's what I like about people from LA and Ohio and California. We had the same sensibilities. Yeah. The music is is, is alike. Oh, the music is made based on the funk, right? LA music is too, right? Remix. Right. He know. I don't smoke either, and never wanted to. Remix says. Oh, I'm getting a but my starburst. I didn't answer your question though. My question, the question you asked me, was. Um, you know, does it does it have a does it cause a problem? And yeah, it does to a person that don't know who they are. You know, I can I can walk into a, a reefer smoke room and not lose my religion. Ryan, do you think I'm afraid when I'm on them tables? Remix, I can answer that question for you. Someone who who has filmed you. Do your thing. It's a gift, like you said. It's gifts. Believe me, believe me. Yes, you do. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian uh, remix said, "Do you think I praise God when I'm on them tables?" Yes, and that and that's that's my point. What you're doing as a DJ, 
see, see where we lose focus is that we were designed to praise. We were that that's what we were made for. We weren't made for nothing else to praise God. And everything that I do in my life, that's what I mean, I'm driving this car, I'm praising God while I'm driving it. You know what I'm saying? That's the way I look at life. And if you don't look at it like that, that's where complications start to come in and people can get in your head and, and, and sway you from what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, they told me, hey, you ain't got no business playing in no club. You ain't got no business. Play. But you know what? The guys the guys that were in those bands with me right now to this day, they, they can reflect back and say, man, you know what? You never tried no drugs. You never did nothing. You know, and that's a, that's a testament to them. It's just the way I live, though. But that's the way I'm supposed to be living. You know what I mean? Um... The question that you asked me earlier to start this whole conversation off, though, was it wasn't a problem with church people. And when I got to the church in Atlanta, no, it wasn't a problem because my understanding then was that what I learned in the world, I was supposed to bring back to the kingdom and show professionalism. Because I see so many churches that that operate, you know, on a lower budget, even in the record business, they'll give uh, um, the Commodores. $600,000 to do a record and give a gospel artist 5000 You can't make a, you can't make a record on that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's been that way for years, but now with the, with the, with the surges of like people like Kirk Franklin and, 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 and people that have taken gospel mainstream, now gospel artists are getting those budgets too. So it's no difference, you know? So that's what we, that's what we, we were striving for, for a long time. When we started Holy Hip Hop in Atlanta. It was, it was a crazy thing. But um, look at look at people like Lecrae now. You know, it's, it's a whole different ball game. So it works. It works, and it's a good thing. Yes, sir. 